we um, are looking at journeys over the next few weeks. Because Christmas, you know, I'm driving home for Christmas. It's that kind of thing, isn't it? That's what we think about. Christmas, we associate sometimes with a journey. And the characters in the nativity go on physical journeys. Mary and Joseph off to Bethlehem, the Magi, the shepherds coming down. There's lots of journeys, but actually a lot of those physical journeys are mirrored by spiritual journeys that those characters go on, those people go on throughout their tiny little sections in the Bible. They go on these massive, massive journeys. So today, We're going to be looking at uh, the journeys of faith of two characters, or two people in this story. One that Mary, we know a lot about her, and we're also going to look at Zachariah. Zachariah, he's another cool old man uh, in this story. Now, I am going to just read it. It's a big old chunk, so uh, listen up. It's going to come up on the screen, because if I try and faff around and get it on there, it's not going to be there. So it says this. In the time of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid. Zachariah, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long at the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. 
The virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. It's a story I think many of us have read or heard a hundred times. But every time I read it, there's something about these characters that kind of sparks life. Yet I really encourage you, when you're reading a Bible, don't worry if you imagine things. It's okay to put a picture around it. It's okay to picture Mary doing the washing up when the angel turns up. It's okay to picture Zachariah in the temple kind of doing his bit. Imagine it. Have fun. God guides our imaginations. And it really helps us to make these stories come to life and become part of our story. So the first thing I wanted to say was why on earth has Dave told me to compare an old priest and this young girl? What's, what on earth was Dave thinking? Well, do you know what? Dave was thinking along the lines of Luke. Luke, who wrote this gospel, is exactly trying to get us to do that. There's a table here. Now, this is the bit I just read to you. If you look at the language across these two things, Luke is saying to us, yes, I want you to compare Zachariah and Mary. I want you to see these two as parallel stories that go along. He was troubled. She was much troubled. The angel said to him, the angel said to her, don't be afraid. All of these words repeated, repeated again, back and forth, back and forth in those two stories. Luke saying to us, look what I'm doing. Look at these two stories. We'll also see a little bit later that Luke's also saying, look at these two stories. Look where these words also pop up in the Old Testament. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So the first, I've got three questions for you. So let's move on to our first question. Do we know that it is not because of who we are, but who God is? Now, both of these people play a really significant role in God's story. But as we ask ourselves this question, let's see what this story tells us. So Zachariah, let's look at him first. He's a priest. He's an old man. He's a man of authority and power in his community. He's a man entrenched in the scriptures. Part of his role in the temple would be interpreting the scriptures and explaining them to the people who came to the temple. He's providing instruction. You know, 
Luke, all that talk about the fact that he's a descendant of Aaron, you know, kind of where you kind of switch off slightly when you read it, that's really important. He's saying that this man is set apart. This man is holy. This man is a a descendant of Aaron. And not only that, he's married to a descendant of Aaron as well. He's set apart. He's all of these things that make his ancestry, ancestral kind of purity, which was really important back then. He had that ancestral purity. But Luke also takes pains to say to us, he was righteous. He had a right relationship with God. So not only did he have ancestral purity, he also did the right things. He had the right relationship with God. But as we saw, you have the right relationship with God. You've got all your ancestral purity doesn't mean you're not going to muck up when an angel rocks up. Now, Mary, by contrast, is a teenager from a uh, backwater town. She's female. She really is a nobody. But, you know, Luke, in his gospel, he's a bit of a feminist. He loves bringing out some of those female characters. Luke wants us to see who Mary is. And he wants us to see who God thinks of her. You know, Luke's really careful in his introduction. He doesn't introduce anyone in Mary's family. She hasn't married Joseph yet. She doesn't have any ancestral claim to David by herself. Do you know what? She's not introduced in any way that would make her considered worthy. She's got no ancestral purity. She... If you look at her on paper, she doesn't deserve favor, status. Yet, God raises this lowly person to have a central role in salvation history. Now, I don't know how many 12 or 13-year-old girls you know. I have the privilege of knowing a 12-year-old girl very, very, very well. And... I'm biased. I think she's great. She is great. However, not meaning to put a downer on God, but if I were God, there's not a chance I would have picked a hormonal teenager to bring about the birth of the salvation of the world. Like, they're really hard work. I mean, I I love her. I do love her, but would I trust her with the savior of the world? I know we're in different times, but no. You know what? We look at these two characters and we realize really fast, qualifications, ancestry, sex, where you're from, they bear absolutely no significance to whether you can be a pivotal part in God's story. It's grace. It's grace that means that. It's God's grace that looks at you and says, you are worthy. You are worthy to be part of my story. So let's go back to this question. Do we know that it's not because of who we are, because of who God is? I'm a works girl. I love doing stuff. I'm a big fan of doing stuff. I have to tell myself, it doesn't matter how competent I am how capable I am. That's irrelevant to God. Am I willing to do it?
So that brings us to our next question. Let's skip on. Are we willing to do what God asks? Now, Zachariah is in the temple. Let's assume by being a priest, you're essentially willing to do what God asks. Angel rocks up and Zachariah turns to them, this angel, and says, how can I be sure of this? I mean, Credit where credit, you've got to have balls to say that to an angel. If not convinced, that's the first thing I'm going to be doing. But actually, do you know what? Zachariah says this. How can I be sure of this? Now, I'm going to skip through my next three slides, probably. Well, you can ask. Let's just look at the first one. Let's go for it. Now, this is where Luke gets a bit like technical. He does this whole hyperlinking back and forth to the Old Testament, back to the New Testament. He's drawing stories. When we look at Zachariah's story... He's, it's, it's Abraham, it's Sarah, and it's not just a vague link between these two parallels. It's like words taken out of the Old Testament and put into the New Testament. There's a massive link between these two stories. Now, Sarah was barren, she had no child, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. The Lord said to Abram, I will make you a great nation. The angel of the Lord to Zechariah concerning John, he will be great in the sight of the Lord. In English, it doesn't you can't always see the parallels really clearly. I promise you it's there. Um, I trust my commentaries that I read that tell me this. I don't read Hebrew and stuff, but I do trust that that's true. Do you know what? If we just skip to the, through the next two slides, but you can see I have put, there's, I've put a load in my PowerPoint. I'm not going to go through them all, but there's masses and I've put maybe six in there. There's so many. When we look at Aaron, when we look at Zachariah, he knew these stories. And yet, he doubted. He questioned God. He said, no, I need something. I need a sign that's going to prove to me. This is a man who knew these stories. And the angel looks at him and says, this is unbelief. I see your unbelief. You know your history. You know I can do it. I see your unbelief. But you know what? He still uses him. He still uses him. And graciously, he gives him a sign. It's not a sign I want. Being silent for nine months would probably... Well, I'm not sure. It's a good thing. But uh, yeah, my husband might like it, but that's beside the point. Um, What torture? But he gives him the sign that he wants. I've jumped masses in my notes. Here we go. Where are we going? Here we go. Now, Mary's response, you know, when you first read it, it seems kind of similar, doesn't it? She says, how will this be since I am a virgin? And I kind of think, well, you were nice to her. Why weren't you nice to him? But no, how will you be since I am a virgin? Her question is, is, let's be honest, a little bit more practical. Um, She's just about to get married. You know, this is where I started imagining I was imagining, what was she doing when this angel turned up? Now, there's a bit of me that thinks, okay, traditional female roles at the time. Maybe she was cooking. Maybe she was around a pot cooking some food. Maybe she was washing up. Maybe she was at the river washing some clothes. I wonder what she was doing. I also wonder what she was dreaming. If you've been lucky enough to be engaged... I spent a lot of time in my engagement thinking about being married. I was quite excited about being married. And there's a bit of me that thinks maybe she was dreaming about her future husband. Maybe she was thinking about the time they were going to spend together. Maybe she was imagining what was going to happen. 
She asks this question, how can this be since I'm a virgin? She's thinking, oh, right, so uh, we're going to get married. Then we're going to have a baby really, really quickly. And then this is what we've got to do. And the angel steps in. No, 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 no. This isn't a practical thing. This isn't, a, you know, a details about how it's all going to work. This is God. This is God. And she's like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Right. Uh, you know, if it were me, I'd be thinking, I don't, uh, okay. I mean, I don't get it, but yeah, okay. Not Mary. There's no panic. There's no stress. Her response is simple. It's beautiful. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. As I was praying about this talk, I uh, was thinking, God, what, what is it you want to talk about? And I was thinking about what an authentic response Mary had. What an authentic response. She was just, I am who I am. May your word to me be fulfilled. I've spent a lot of time recently running conferences for marketing CEOs of various places. And they're all talking about Gen Z. So we're talking sort of 12 to 26-year-olds. They're Gen Z. And what they're saying about Gen Z and what the research all points to is that Gen Z have no interest in fake They've got no interest in things that aren't authentic. And I suddenly thought, my goodness, Jesus is the most authentic man that ever lived. If you can't look at Jesus and say, There's, this is the real deal. When I meet him, there is nothing about him that feels insincere. He is the real deal. Gen Z can spot a fake a mile off. But they're also a generation that craves authenticity personally as well. They want to be who they are made to be. And do you know what? We don't like older generations. We find that really hard. Sometimes we think of them as selfish. We think, actually, they want to be who they want to be. They're not thinking about anybody else, blah, 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 blah. Do you know what? What they're looking for is authenticity. That's what they're craving. Do you know what? It made me think... We need to introduce them to the most authentic man who's ever lived. And we need to be real with them as well. Particularly older generations, we need to be real with them about faith, about journeys. We need to be real about how hard it can be and the joy and the celebration that it can be. I, it's a totally bizarre point that me and Jesus were chatting about when I was praying. But you know what? I think this, this is the beginning of the most authentic man on earth. I think this is a generation that are ready to hear about him. And I think it's a challenge for us at Christmas to, to tell them. So back to this question, are we willing to do what God asks? What God asks of you is to be who he made you to be. That might be to do something crazy that you'd never imagine. It might be just to be you at work. To say, I am willing to be your servant in my office. I am willing to be your servant on the playground. I'm willing to be your servant outside of church. I actually think that's a really scary prayer to pray. 
But I love that when angels rock up and say to people, are you going to do something for me? The first thing he says is, don't be afraid. We need to remember when we say, yes, I'm willing to be who you made me to be. Before we say yes, he's already said, don't be afraid. So our final question is this. Do you believe that God has got this? You know, we haven't got time to read the beautiful songs that Mary and Zachariah both sing in the Bible that we can read, but they're stunning. They draw on the history of God's people, what God's doing now and their hopes and dreams for the future. And they worship. They worship out of everything that they've got. They give it to God and they say, God, I love you. This is incredible. Look at our history. Look at our future. This is incredible. But I don't think it was easy. Elizabeth remained in seclusion. It doesn't tell us why she remained in seclusion for six months. It's not something that they, you would normally do at that time. Part of me wonders if she just couldn't deal with all the people, the shame, the badgering. Oh, you've not had a baby. You've not, don't be ridiculous. You're not, gonna be, you're not pregnant. Don't be stupid. By six months, you're obviously pregnant. So you can come out of seclusion and be like, hello, baby. But, you know, I think it was hard for her. For Mary, unwedded mother, bump growing, there's a lot of shame going on. But they don't hang around in that. They say, no, I'm going to worship the Lord. I'm going to say, he is amazing. But through that incredibly tough time. Are we able to do that? Do we truly believe that God has got this? Do we truly believe that no matter how rough it feels right now, how low and in the depths, God has got this? I encourage you to read a bit of the Old Testament. Do you know what? We see in the history of God's people that God has got this. And as we go into Christmas, let's remember the birth of Jesus, the ultimate God has got this. The life of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus tells us that God has got this. You know, as we enter into a relationship with God, we don't just enter into a relationship, but we enter into a story. We come, become part of a history God invites us to get involved and, you know, each and every one of us. And as we do that, are we willing to say, okay, I'm going to be me. I'm going to do what you ask me to do. Do we truly believe God has got this? So I'm going to stop and we're going to worship. It's a chance for us to worship in the place that you are. Come as you are. Come because God says to you, don't be afraid. Be yourself. I've got this. I've got this. You can do what I'm asking you to do. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that we're not isolated, that we're part of a big story. We're part of a history that stretches for 
huge amounts of time. We're part of a people of God. Lord, and I thank you that your history is our history. And that tells us we've got this. You have got this. Lord, I thank you that now we can worship you. We can come before you with confidence. Amen.